and welcome to another season of Love and Citizenship. Wow, this <laughs> this feels really good to be back. We're we're back for a new season. From the onset, I think it's been a while. It really has been. It's been about 18 months since the last episode aired out. And God, what a what a, what a time it has been. I was thinking about how to start this season and I suppose the 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 most important and the most significant way that I can start this episode is to just welcome you back. Welcome if you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you are a new listener, welcome to this podcast. We are a very independent, very small podcast. I started this in the middle of the pandemic in my childhood bedroom halfway across the world, just buzzing with all these creative ideas and just wanting an outlet and what a journey this podcast has taken and from a meager hundred downloads in that first season to where we are now, this has been a journey like no other. And I'm really, really glad that we're back. I am delighted that I get to start this new season with a guest today. But before we do, before we get to the amazing, amazing human that Ella Dawson is, I just really want to get through a few businessy things about the podcast. So obviously, like I said, it's been 18 months since the last season of the podcast came out. And the reason behind that is twofold. I think part of it is I am obviously doing this as a personal creative project and there is a bigger other career that I do and kind of that kind of became more important and kind of took a lot more time and something about rushing into this podcast and this new season just didn't feel right and I decided that it was best to kind of not rush anything and so a lot of the conversations that you're hearing today and going forward will be you know they've been recorded some time back i've tried and make sure that kind of there's context within the footnotes or the show notes of the episodes so do give them a view uh, but i think just by nature of the podcast and just the nature of the conversations anyway they're kind of evergreen you can listen to them whenever and i really do hope that somebody listening to this very episode 10 years in the future still manages to get something out of it because i think that's something very much within the nature of this podcast that it isn't so much about a time and a place but more about just the everyday, never really quite changing aspect of how we connect and show up as people and how that can help somebody else relate. Basically, I think I'm rambling, but what I'm saying is it's great to be back, but also it's been a while and I've missed this. I've missed sitting in front of a microphone, recording this intro and doing this. And I'm really, really glad that I get to do this. This season is slightly shorter and that's the other businessy aspect of it. So episodes in the last two seasons have come out every week, but just in terms of managing constraints and how and where, you know, my resources are stretched, they're coming out every fortnight. So you can expect a new episode to come out every other Tuesday, but that is the more businessy side of it. And I think it's it's about time we get to the true, true beating heart of this episode, which is my lovely friend, the incredible Ella Dawson, who uh, was a guest in season one of the podcast. And that's quite the story because I've followed Ella on Twitter for a while, uh, well, back when it was called Twitter. So a friend recommended her account to me. And if you have never come across Ella's work, just, just go check it out. That's the first recommendation. But there is a vulnerability and a capacity to allow you to reflect your own lived experience in her writing that is just unlike really anything that I have come across and has been an inspiration in a lot of the work that I've done. 
so when the when the podcast was happening, I had a moment of bravery and I decided, you know, about time that I do something like this. So I reached out, I reached out, I sent her an email and she decided to come on. And in a big way, that yes kind of had a domino effect, which for the second season that allowed me to reach out to more people, more strangers that I didn't know. That's kind of reached down onto this third season as well. And I'm just really, really glad that she agreed to do this because there is a lot of this that we cover in the episode. But when Ella and I recorded the episode now three years ago, she was in a very different place romantically, as a writer, as a person. And of course, we cover a lot of that. And it isn't so much necessary reading. But I think either prior to listening to this episode, so if you want to take a pause, go listen to that first episode, it's in season one. Or I think even if you listen to it after listening to this episode, I think it adds a different dimension to this conversation. And I think in kind of knowing how things happen and what changes would allow a different dimension to that episode. So I think they're very complementary in some respect. And it's it's been an exceptional privilege to kind of have that opportunity to carry that conversation through across so many years. And Ella is somebody I look up to in so many ways. And just to to be able to call her a friend has been a privilege. It really has been. And I feel so exceptionally lucky. And when you hear this conversation, you understand why, because there's something about this conversation that even after hours of listening to it, hours of editing it, it just hits me in different ways every single time. And that's the biggest compliment I can give to just the vulnerability Ella brings, but also just who she is as a person. It is so, so incredible. And I genuinely believe we are so lucky to have a writer like her just creating. And so if you can support that creativity, if you can be a champion of it, support her, support her on Patreon. There's a book coming out. She's coming out with a fucking book in June. You will not regret it. So just, just, just show her love. And God, I am so, so, so excited for the lot of you to listen to this episode. So without further wait, allow me to introduce the wonderful, the absolutely goddamn incredible, somebody I feel exceptionally lucky to call a friend and a creative inspiration and a mentor, Ella Dawson. I have returned. Uh, My name is Ella Dawson. I am a sex and culture critic and a debut author, hopefully next year, if all things go according to plan. Yeah, I'm super excited to be back. I'm so excited to talk to you about all the things we recorded about two years ago, I think. And so much has happened. And it's so funny. The fact that I feel like I met you online and we recorded right before a whole bunch of stuff changed very quickly for me. So you and I became long distance internet friends when I was about to go into a tornado. And I'm so excited that we have a chance now that the dust has settled to be like, hey, what's up? What's good? Mm -hmm. So yay. Hello. Let's go. I think what's interesting and has been interesting is not just with like how challenging that journey has been, but like obviously being on patreon and kind of following you on social media i get a side of it and i get a version of it but i think i genuinely am quite excited about the idea of just sitting down with you and picking apart and like okay not just dissecting the episode that we did that that's going to be well i'm sure we'll talk some of it but like i think in my head i have labeled like these last two years of like as the dawn of ella phase or like (laughs) just just you know you talk about going into this tornado and i think Right now, I've labeled this as the dawn of Ella phase because to me, as somebody external, it feels like you're really coming into your own and you really embraced like a big part of yourself that seemed like you'd locked away. And 
before I obviously jump into the questions, I'm so incredibly proud and happy to see you do that and take this new stride in like accepting yourself and just like, I think there's a big and great amount of vulnerability that you've kind of brought into the world in that way and sharing this messy part of you and the not so polished parts of that journey. But like, what's that been like and how did it start? I suppose, what was the first domino that fell? Yeah. So for those of you listening at home wondering what the heck we're talking about, I am, I'm 30 years old. I turn 31 next month, actually, which is strange to think about. And for the second half of my 20s, I was in a relationship that was just not, it was not a good fit. And I put aside a lot of parts of myself kind of in storage that I felt ashamed of or felt like didn't make me a good girlfriend. And uh, it was not the healthiest relationship. And my partner was not the nicest person in the world. And when I spoke to you last and when we recorded, I was gathering the courage to end that relationship. But I was still very much struggling with feelings of guilt and failure because I truly believed that it was my fault and that I wasn't good enough to be this stunning girlfriend, future wife, mother. I really felt like it was my personal failure that I didn't fit into this box that society had programmed me to think was being a perfect woman and partner. And I ended that relationship a few months after we recorded. And in the wake of that relationship ending, with the help of a therapist and some lovely friends, I realized that the relationship had not just been incompatible, it had been, there had been some abusive behaviors at play. And while I don't think my ex acted with any kind of malice, he had very strong, clear opinions about what a relationship should look like and what a woman should be. And they ran quite counter to who I am at some very core levels. I am a sex writer. I am not a fan of shame. I love to talk about things that are kind of off limits in polite culture. I like to talk about mental health and all sorts of stuff that he, in the beginning of our relationship, thought was so brave. And then as time went on, I realized he thought was um, not good. And the best abusers are very good at taking your strongest points and making them think that they are weaknesses. And in the last two years, I've been polishing off and rediscovering parts of myself that that I used to be very proud of and that I kind of lost. Mm -hmm. And I also, as a writer, changed my process a lot because I, in my 20s, began to believe that the best work you do and publish is work that you've had time to process and sit with and edit. And I kind of just couldn't do that for the first few years after that relationship ended because I was really traumatized mm -hmm. and just not capable of that type of processing and restraint, truly. And I thought a lot about how I was publishing, but I shifted my relationship with my Patreon and with my patrons and kind of let people into those as they're happening, processing and healing moments. Mm -hmm. And it was very vulnerable and I'm still kind of shocked that I did it, but I'm incredibly proud of the work that I did. And it's brought me a lot closer to many of my patrons. And it's been really healing for me. If you've experienced any type of abuse, you learn to silence yourself because you want to protect your perpetrator or you want to protect your loved ones and you feel all of this shame. And it's been very healing for me and empowering for me to say, fuck it. I'm a messy victim. I'm in recovery. This is what happened. This is what this person did to me. And I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to make some beautiful fucked up art about it. And 
that's also part of the healing process. So that's the nutshell version. It's been very messy and strange, but I'm very proud of it. And I think that folks who follow my work as readers can understand what I've been doing and really respect it. I definitely have a complex around people who probably think I'm having a nervous breakdown when in reality, like the breakdown was the relationship and this is the recovery. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a messy, strange conversation because my thinking is still not quite linear as well, um, which I think comes through in my writing and in conversations. But I'm alive. I've been having a very good mental health stretch for the past few months. I'm in a really healthy relationship. I am much closer to my friends and family than I ever have been. Things are good mm-hmm. and things are on track. And yeah, I'm so excited to be able to be honest in conversation with you today in a way that I don't think I was capable of doing two years ago. There's there's a moment from our conversation which didn't make it to past the editing floor because it was like a weird glitch that happened and we had to take pause. And I think when we started recording, there was the part of, I'm paraphrasing this now, but some mention of like, oh, I don't think I would say that if my partner was here. And I was, I mean, I just emailed you four weeks ago. I didn't know you. For me, I didn't feel like that was a place I could go. But even then it was this thing of like, oh, hello, that doesn't sound right. And I hope you can hear this. So there's a couple of tangents that I'm now thinking about, but I suppose the most immediate one kind of just as a follow up to what I've just said there is what were the parts and like, what were the things that kind of started waking you up to I need to leave. Something isn't right. I need to leave. So this one of the strangest things to me about being in an abusive or codependent relationship or both Mm -hmm. is the way that you have to maintain a fiction about the relationship and how perfect it is and that there are no problems and that you are not miserable. Mm -hmm. And I was very good at maintaining that illusion, even within my own mind and internalizing it as if I work harder and if I improve myself, I will be ready for this relationship and I will be able to make it work. And what became very clear when we recorded that podcast and just in that general time period was that I had lost the ability to lie convincingly. (laughs) And I, I couldn't lie to my parents. They were seeing the cracks. There were some friends I was beginning to tell the truth to Mm -hmm. and having a conversation with you about love and what love means and what it feels like to be in love just made it very clear that I was not in love. I actually really hated the person I was living with. (laughs) And also a lot of our conversation was about an essay that I had written about breakup sex and about one of my exes who I truly loved so much and who was one of the people who was helping me leave my abuser. He might not have realized he was doing that, but he was. He had become kind of a lifeline. And in our conversation, it just, it was one of those writing is on the wall moments where I was like, I am so tired of lying about this. I'm writing a romance novel. I love to talk about love. And this is not what I feel on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that's really sad. And also, I don't know how long I can maintain this lie. I'm going to get caught. Mm -hmm. People in my life are going to start saying something My partner is probably aware, but for some reason allowing this, like this has to end soon. Mm -hmm. And it took a few more months, but I remember just being like dreading the episode coming out when I was still in the relationship because I was like, who's going to listen to this? Mm -hmm. And like, is my partner going to listen or his parents going to listen? 
Are they going to scrutinize what I've said? Like, did I stick to the party line about what a relationship is supposed to be? Like, I felt so surveilled. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to just, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel like there's anyone waiting for me to make a mistake in the way that I talk about my life. And that's so nice. You don't realize you're living with that until it's gone. And then it's just like, oh, this is wonderful. No one's tracking my my mistakes. No one's tracking my infractions, you know? Sounds a lot like walking on eggshells. Constantly. And you, when you do it every single day, you forget that you're doing it. And then the moment that you stop, you feel like you can fly. Mm -hmm. I was euphoric for the first few months after the relationship ended. It was like, Every day was a new day and I was glad to be alive and I was singing and skipping and less like delusionally happy because it was just such a relief to have that burden lifted. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm guessing once that euphoria was felt there was something much difficult, much more difficult coming after, which was grappling with the aftermath and everything that had happened. Yeah, I had like four or five months of joy and then the 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 uh debtor came to collect on mm -hmm. four years of suppressing my feelings mm -hmm. <laughs> and um i went through a lot of really dark depression and mental health issues and like self-harming and just feeling like i was drowning mm -hmm. and repressed memories coming back and kind of putting the pieces together of oh this was abusive oh this might have had there were elements of sexual assault here like oh all of this depression i was feeling at the time was <laughs> <laughs> related to this, like mm -hmm. the reckoning did come. And I think one of the lessons that I've learned about trauma is that your body and your brain will often wait until they think that you can handle whatever's happening. Mm -hmm. So that delay was a result of my body and my brain waiting for it to be safe for me to feel those things. And I'm very glad that that wave of awfulness is over. And now I'm more in the like, okay, the dust has settled. What life do I want to live now that we've faced those demons. I'm curious, what was the the post-euphoric when everything's now shaking? Like, what what's that like? What was that like? The weird thing about it was that I think the darkest window of time happened when I had just started a new relationship. And it was with a partner who I adore and who is incredible to me. And dating someone who I actually enjoyed the company of who I respected, who cared a lot about my boundaries, my bodily autonomy, who truly supports the work that I do, put into high definition mm -hmm. how much all of those things had been missing in my last relationship. And I remember driving home from our first date and just realizing, oh, I was, I was sexually assaulted by my ex-boyfriend. Like, oh, that's... It's actually not too much to ask that you can tell someone, hey, I don't want to go forward or, oh, hey, I'm not comfortable. It's not too much to expect them to be like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I hear that, but let's do something else. And it was such a weird gallows humor moment of, oh, oh that was rape. And that every time I would have this amazing experience with my new partner, it just made me so much angrier and sadder about what had happened because I had that contrast. Mm -hmm. And I also had a wonderful therapist who was like, yeah, I think that is what that is. I think that might have been sexual assault. Like it was very strange to have these like very positive experiences paired with these very dark realizations and learning to balance that and to live in the joy while also honoring and not shying away from these really disturbing memories that came up was challenging, but ultimately productive and good. 
but it was a real, it was very strange because I think I thought when I left the relationship that all my problems were solved because I had left and it was over and I managed to go no contact with my ex after a few months as well. So it's not like he was still lurking around. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just going to be cool from there on out. And especially with this delay of those feelings settling in, when they did finally come up, I felt this additional wave of shame of like, wait, I'm not okay. Like I left and I suffered for all those years and now I have to keep suffering. I have to do all this work unpacking this horrible experience. And I had to remember that and remind myself like there's, it's become almost a meme. The body keeps the score. Trauma lives in your body. Like all these things that you endured, they stay with you, especially if you're not working through them at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that I found a community of other survivors on Twitter. And I I took out every single book about domestic violence at my public library (laughs) and like managed to reach out and talk to some of the authors too. And that helped so much because it just... There's a there's precedent for what I was feeling. This was a very normal experience, this delayed reaction. Like it's a slow, strange, nonlinear emotional process. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh you can't you don't get to skip it. You don't get to push fast forward. And I'm glad that I went through it. But now when I have friends or folks I know who leave abusive relationships and are like, This is great. I want to start doing all these other things. I'm like, oh hun, the bill's mm-hmm. gonna come. And I, woof, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, the aftermath of any relationship is hard to deal with. But when you've had a relationship that not only cleaves parts of you or expects you to cleave complete parts of you, but arguably leaves you completely blind and just scuttering about, then finding your way somehow. And there's so much abuse and so much trauma attached to that relationship. I mean, I'm, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. It's, Thank you. It's here. It's so difficult hearing about it, but like what that lived experience was is something beyond I can imagine. But when you look back on that now, what what crosses your mind? How do you feel? Over the last few months, it's begun to feel more like an aberration, like a strange thing that happened as opposed to this very raw memory, Mm -hmm. which I'm really grateful for. I'm glad that it doesn't feel like it just happened yesterday uh, because it did for a long time. And I, one of the things that my therapist has drilled into me is you have to feel compassion for who you were and who you are now. And it took me a while, but I I no longer look back and feel exasperated for my younger self because I get it. Like I understand how I wound up in that situation. I understand what I was looking for. I understand now what I didn't know then that would have been really helpful. I had no idea how to communicate my needs and boundaries effectively. And when I tried, I was punished for it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the maturity or the strength to say like excuse me that's not negotiable i mostly just like want to give my younger self a hug and be like yeah this this was not your fault you were not crazy and you were not the problem and you were working really hard to solve something that was not really your fault or problem or failure mm-hmm. And it is, it's so strange because there are moments that are so vivid in my memory and there are gaps of time I just don't remember. Like there are so many months of time that I have no recollection of what was going on or where I was or how I felt. And I was talking to a friend recently about how I hadn't been to any weddings and the weddings are beginning now that my friends are in their 30s. And I just straight up forgot I'd been to a wedding with him and like we flew across the country and it was this destination wedding. It was just like, vanished from my memory. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to feel kind of disconnected and removed from the relationship. I'm really grateful that I've reached that point. Mm -hmm. But it is, I think it'll always just be kind of like a 
a strange chapter where I was not living as myself. I was this very different, deflated person trying to take up as little space as possible Mm -hmm. and behaving in ways that are quite out of character. And I'm glad I'm no longer doing that. But it is very surreal to know that you are capable of that type of disassociation from your own personality and needs. It's it's odd to know that you're capable of that. And I hope to never do it again. And I think it's the absence of your individuality in that relationship and that period of, you know, having to fit into such a small space that I think when I see you now and the work that you're putting out and just the way you're navigating just life, it's I think, yeah, there's in, in your work and like there's there's some things you've put out where there's no hope to be found. But you're writing one of the most beautiful and brilliant things about it is how you leave like a mirror for the person reading it. You're like, your experience will be different, but I want you to be seen in some parts of this work. And I know for a fact there are people who are now seeing this work in progress part of your work, of like just you being a work in progress and like not being sorted which I think has arguably made your work all that much better. There's, there's such vulnerability in what you're doing now. It's fucking terrifying, I can imagine, but I think it's incredible. And it's just been so incredible to see that as well. I, I want to get to the creative parts of like, you know, there's a book coming out and like, I do want to get to it. But I suppose the, the thing that I, I, I would want to talk about, because I think now, with the context of everything we've talked about is maybe the best time to you you've gone from this experience of being in a relationship and then you've had these moments of like completely being ripped apart through the hindsight of like what this was to now being in a place where you can reflect on it and like hold space for yourself and you know be with a new partner what has that been like to now be with a partner who sounds very wholesome and lovely being with somebody like that and then also having the history of not just the past relationship, but like how you were in that relationship. Oh, that is such a good question. I don't even know where to start. I it was certainly separate from my current relationship, just being in therapy and looking at why was I in this abusive relationship? What did I learn from it? What mistakes did I make? If it, it forces you to look at the ugly, very human patterns within yourself that you've picked up over time. And I don't mean that in a victim blaming way. I certainly did not deserve to be treated the way that I was treated, Mm -hmm. but it is still worth looking at. Well, why did I think that I did deserve it? And why was I attracted to someone who was behaving in this way? Like having those conversations, even just in the private space of therapy or in my own mind has been humbling and scary Mm -hmm. and disturbing and sad, but also it's like once you look under that rock, you can't unsee it. And it's been very helpful to take that energy into my current relationships and friendships and think, okay, I know why I would behave this way that I'm, that I want to behave. And because I know that's an unhealthy reaction or coping mechanism, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to do it and I'm going to feel like a dummy. And then I'm going to talk to my therapist about why I continued this behavior that isn't serving me, mm-hmm. that is coming from a place of like, inner child pain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I I do think part of being an adult and growing up is just looking at yourself and being like, oh, that's cringe. Let's fix it. <laughs> Let's try. Yeah. And it's not easy, but at the end, it leads to having better relationships and a better relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. 
like I recently had an issue with a friend where she did something that was really disrespectful to me. And my impulse was to just keep the peace and put aside my own feelings of hurt to preserve this friendship and to avoid upsetting her. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment of like, I'm 30. I just got out of this abusive relationship. I've learned all these lessons. I'm not even capable of using that same defense mechanism. I have no choice but to just be like, you screwed up. You hurt me. I need space. Mm -hmm. This is not acceptable. And I'm, I'm so proud of myself for doing that. I know that I did the right thing for myself. It's still not fun, but it would have been a lot less fun to swallow how I was feeling and continue to allow someone to treat me in a way that was unfair so yay ish growing up um it's it's so uncomfortable (laughs) parts of it are so uncomfortable but definitely a a big yay to growing up exactly it's uncomfortable but it's also it's so much more comfortable than the alternative of Mm. continuing to just flail (laughs) and it's in in starting a new relationship I'm exploring with non-monogamy right now, and Mm -hmm. that requires a lot of communication as well and open communications about feelings and boundaries and needs. And that's been really incredible for me in learning to advocate for myself and to also honor myself as an individual Mm -hmm. instead of just part of a unit. And so that's been a really good additional push to really work on these things. Mm -hmm. But I'm very lucky that I (laughs) I like to joke that my partner and I are just very trauma-informed people. (laughs) And uh, I'm really grateful to him that he's been so understanding and patient and unflappable when stuff resurfaces. I wrote an essay called Survivor Brain last spring that was about having these memories of sexual assault come back and being triggered while you're with your new partner Mm -hmm. and the shame and embarrassment of that. And also how it's really not that much to actually ask someone who cares about you to just like let you cry and be sweet to you (laughs) and learning to raise your expectations is also good that was a very rambly answer but it is it's not straightforward it's very strange being an adult is a weird rodeo (laughs) but i'm so so glad mate like i'm so so glad that you've found somebody that can hold that space for you but more importantly something i said in the first recording we did which is for me love is meeting in the middle and I think you've met yourself in the middle. So this act of love for yourself and to see it flourish across the board has just been like, I'm I'm so glad that happened and I'm so, so happy for you. Yes. And so I tried to listen to our first episode mm-hmm. in preparation for this conversation. I made it like 20 minutes in because I was just like, oh, girl, you are so miserable. Like it was very difficult to hear myself yeah. try to define what love is. Mm-hmm. and flailing. Mm -hmm. And I think I started to ask myself in the last week, well, what do I think love is now? And that's been a conversation I've been having with myself ever since leaving the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things I really appreciate about my current relationship and about the friendships that I have in my life right now Mm -hmm. is that love helps you love and appreciate yourself. And that by loving someone else and by being loved by them, you become a fuller, richer version of yourself. And I've become someone who loves stuffed animals and cries when I eat Mm -hmm. good dessert and 
have become very tacky and I just, I prioritize my own joy so much more Mm -hmm. and my partner doesn't make fun of me for that. And it's just so nice to, to feel safe loving yourself and to have someone point out things that are really special about you and to fiercely cheerlead and adore the person you're dating and help them love themselves more because they have someone saying, you know, this is what's so special about you. And this is why what you're doing is awesome and matters. And it's just, I want that energy in all of my friendships. I want that energy in all of my relationships. I'm trying to embody that more Mm -hmm. and not just in a romantic sense. And yeah, it's good. Life is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) And I am so glad to hear that. We've already like departed so severely from that first first recording we ever did. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think some, some something that I'm now very curious to kind of touch on and I'll try and avoid spoilers because I've read a very early draft of this. But you've just finished writing a book and you've sold that book now. Mate, what does yeah. that feel like? <laughs> it's extremely weird especially because publishing moves so slowly Mm -hmm. and we sold it almost a year ago and we're still not done revising it and it'll be probably another year before it's in bookshelves. So Mm -hmm. it's a very odd feeling of, oh my God, this is so exciting. And also, oh my God, this is taking so long. (laughs) It's very strange, Mm -hmm. but it is, I'm so stoked. My only goal as a little kid when people asked me what I wanted to do was I want to write books and I want to sell books. And growing up, And in college and in my early 20s, all I wanted to do was sell a book. And it was so surreal to sell the book and then be like, oh, shit, I did it. (laughs) I did it. This has been my only life goal. Like, I don't know that I want anything. I never planned on anything else. And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, it's very humbling. I worked extremely hard. I'm shocked. I wrote the fact that I managed to write a good romance novel while in an abusive relationship with someone I didn't love and sell the book is bananas to Mm -hmm. me and the book very much kept me going at times where i was feeling suicidal and feeling worthless i was like no i can't i can't lose it fully because i gotta finish this goddamn book yeah so it's not bittersweet it's all sweet i'm so stoked but Mm -hmm. it is very humbling and i'm so happy i'm so glad that you've gotten to read an early draft i'm so curious when it's done done what you think of the changes that we've made it is it meant so much to me that you read it and gave me like blow by blow reactions because it's my favorite part when someone reads it is just like oh my god they did what yeah so thank you for that that was huge for me always always as a as a friend that's the that's the least i could do and i think what was interesting to contrast with your lived experience was here is somebody in a very loosely way coming face to face with an abuser in their past and at the same time having this lovely wholesome presence and these lovely friends who, in, in a big way for this character, as I read it, reminded her of like her real, like, I don't know, uncaged, more freer part of herself. What I'm curious is, I know you kind of said kind of writing and the book being a b- bit of a lifeline essentially for you in that process. But like, what was it like coming out of that relationship and then having to do the drafts and the edits and the going and revisiting this piece that really kept you you know, sane throughout this horrible time in your life. Yeah. So for context, the book is a, it's a second chance romance novel. It's really just a coming of age story about a girl who goes back to her university for her five year reunion. Mm -hmm. And she's really there because her horrible boss is going to give the commencement address 
at graduation, which is the last day of the reunion. It's reunion commencement weekend. So she's not really there willingly. She's not excited to be there. Her ex-boyfriend, who was abusive, may or may not be attending. She doesn't know. And she's also kind of drifted from her friends from college who are this very tight-knit queer chosen family. And she's frustrated and embarrassed that those relationships have kind of wilted because she's been so distracted trying to stay alive in New York City Mm -hmm. broke. And she also collides with her ex who is a nice person who she had kind of rebounded with after leaving her abusive partner in college. So a lot of high emotional stakes, a lot of people popping up to remind you of who you were and ways in which you've grown and ways in which you've stalled. And Mm -hmm. it's it's a tight novel that takes place over the four days of the reunion commencement. Mm -hmm. And it was very strange rereading it and beginning to revise it after leaving my ex and after selling the book too, because I could read it and realize oh, I was working out so much on the page stuff that I couldn't consciously face about my own life. Mm -hmm. And all of these resentments and embarrassments and fears that I had around, am I lovable now that I've been abused? Will I find love if I leave this person? Have I completely lost connection with who I am and my values because of this relationship? Like, They were things that I couldn't consciously realize I was struggling with and afraid of, but in my heart, were really weighing me down. And I just gave them all to this character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Charlotte, the main character, is very much her own person. She's not just a self-insert character. But the themes that I was working with were incredibly close to my heart. And it was fun to get to revise it because I had had learned some of the lessons that I needed in order to bring the book to the next level Mm -hmm. and make it a true work of fiction and a true story that wasn't just a bunch of feelings. Mm -hmm. And to help it connect with other folks. And it was also a lot of the, some of the characters have been kind of caricatures of people like her, her ex, Ben, who was abusive in the early drafts was kind of just like a comical jerk. Mm -hmm. And through leaving my own ex and recovering from that relationships, I was able to think of, well, who is this character really Mm -hmm. separate from my own feelings? And He's evolved in some interesting ways since you got to read the book. Mm-hmm. And he is a podcaster himself and is like a very leftist activist who's just a total shithead mm-hmm. <laughs> off the air. I got to go deeper with a lot of folks and add a lot of color and also to have a more nuanced look at emotional abuse and control that I had experienced in my own relationships that I'd learned a lot about during my recovery and that I think the world learned a lot more about when it came to certain celebrity domestic violence trials that have happened recently. And it was really nice to take some of that learning and research and think, well, how would this look on a college campus? How would this look between two 20-year-olds? What would be the long-term emotional fallout for these characters Mm -hmm. who are now facing each other six years later? Mm It was really nice to see the book as, oh, this is who I was when I wrote it. And now that I'm this person, I can edit it and make it even better. And it's still not done. I'll still have to do another revision, I'm guessing, after this. And then we'll go to the copy edit phase. But with every draft, it becomes a better book. And it becomes so unrecognizable from the first draft. Mm. And that is the way it's supposed to go. Yeah. And it's. I think it's such a... There's absolutely something to be said about the the journey that you've taken and how that reflects in your writing but not just that but in how you've you know gone about better understanding and the depth of who these characters are but also 
you have gone from being a very much a writer of the internet of like putting personal essays out and like doing blog pieces to now sitting with this mammoth fucking text for years and still working away at it. How has that process been for you? This is the part of the process that really doesn't keep me up at night, but when I'm awake at night, this is what I'm usually thinking about. My whole process as a writer, I'm not classically trained. I don't have an MFA. I didn't mm-hmm. study writing in college. I very much am just a lifelong writer who loves to read and mostly learns from reading. Mm-hmm. And my writing career has been totally digital. It's been mostly on platforms that I own. I came up as a blogger. Mm-hmm. I've done some freelancing and I've been published in some anthologies, but by far the bulk of my work has been my own editing process mm-hmm. and editing with friends and then owning the content and then putting it up relatively quickly after it's created, whether that's on Patreon or my blog. The outliers have been short stories that usually take a year or two to publish or longer in an anthology, but those are short pieces that are not super personal. Mm -hmm. This is the first time that I've done a long project that I've had to wait years and years to release. And the fact that this is going to be... (laughs) I've been working on this since 2019. Mm -hmm. It'll most likely come out in 2024, which is five years. The world has changed so much since I first came up with the story. We've had an entire pandemic, which Mm -hmm. is still ongoing. The economy has changed. I've changed. The industry has changed. Like I worry so much that it'll seem dated. I worry that it'll seem privileged and out of reach or out of touch. I worry that it'll be panned or people will hate it or I'll be canceled. And I'll be like, I spent five years working on this and holy shit, it was a disaster. Like that is my Mm -hmm. worst nightmare. And The other really weird thing about this is that if you read my work online, you usually are aware of who I am and where I'm coming from, or it's very easy for you to discover that because you're reading on my blog or on Patreon or on Twitter, like you have a higher chance of having additional context. Mm -hmm. Whereas if my book does make it into bookstores and you pick it up, you don't know anything about me most likely, and that might be the only encounter you have with me. And so I feel like I need to put everything in the book about who I am and what I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously I don't, like that's not how it works. I don't have to, it's the thing about being online. You feel like you have to defend yourself from criticisms that haven't even happened yet. And I cannot put that type of responsibility on this little romance novel, but it's so, it's very, it scares the crap out of me that this book will be judged on its own merits and that people won't be nice about it just because they know that I've had personal experiences or whatever. So It's very scary. And I'm so glad that I am lucky enough to have this fear because it means that my career is in like a really exciting place and I'm getting what I always wanted. I'm going to be published, but oh my God, it's terrifying. I live in fear of Goodreads reviews. I just, oh, uh, I live in fear of like someone on TikTok deciding that my representation of someone was poorly done. I just, oh, I'm doing, I'm trying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't like it. I'm scared. It's terrifying. It really is. But I'm I'm going to steal something that one of my guests last season said to me, which is there is a great vulnerability and a great like fear when it comes to learning in a very public way. Yeah. But I think the fact that you've even opened up to that idea, and I am very, obviously I have my own biases and I want that to be heard for anybody listening to this. But I think the thing that stayed and has stayed with me since reading this, it's such an honest wonderful story about 
somebody that has completely lost parts of themselves, but then all of a sudden arrives to this place that, you know, there's a lot of shame about the idea of who you were supposed to be and no longer am. And like, there's this entire like culmination of a lot of things happening. The fact that you can make people feel that way with words, with fucking words, Ella, I think that is something special. And you're, you're giving people hope and through a journey and you're taking them on a journey. And I can say so much and I can shower you and praise with all of it. But to be very fucking sincere, mate, I think it'll be scary. It'll be terrifying. But I have a good feeling about this. I think it's like part of being a human being is feeling like you failed to live up to who people expected you to be. Mm-hmm. And I think no matter what age and what generation you're in, that is really palpable as part of the human experience mm-hmm. and getting growing older. And mm-hmm. it's very much a story about millennials and being broke and being queer and being alienated. But even beyond that, it's just about worrying that you ruined everything <laughs> and having people in your life go, you can't ruin everything. That's not possible. Screw what society told you you're supposed to be. Like, it's never too late to start over, even if there are these structural forces in your way. And you deserve to be loved. <laughs> yeah. Ah! Yeah. We all do. We all do. Yeah, unless you're a rich billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the takeaway. Is like, there are a few people who can just fuck off. Um it's it's the thing but, about your yeah. book. It's so funny as well. Like there's parts of it where I was fucking laughing all the way through. It's it's it, that's that that's the beauty of it. It's the balance of the serious gut punch with the. There's a particular scene where two people are reconnecting, and there is a very good Leonard Cohen song that they're vibing to. And I cried. I cried reading this simply because I was like, shit, I can connect to this moment. I was like happy tears. I was like, oh my god, love exists. I believe in love. Oh, I did have to take out Leonard Cohen and the lyrics That's because it. it's rights issues, but that one of the first scenes I ever wrote in the book, um, really? I think that was probably the second scene. Yeah. There's a scene where two characters are slow dancing in the middle of a party that's playing like house music. Mm-hmm. It's like very weird for them to be doing that, but mm-hmm. it's, I wanted to capture like the weird intimacy that can happen in like a hookup culture environment. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first scenes that I wrote because that was so much of what I was wanting in my own life at the time. And I, oh, I'm happy that made you cry. It made me cry. It's a beautiful scene. <laughs> it's a goddamn beautiful scene. But I will be very curious to hear once it comes out. I think it'll, it'll I, I'm quite excited now and curious to see what happens. But God, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very excited for you. I hope that time moves faster. <laughs> I'm really, I'm ready. I'm ready for it to be done. I'm ready for it to come out. I knew when I signed with the the publisher that I signed with that they were a house that moved slowly. And I think that's good because I want it to be as high quality a book as possible. Yeah. But it is just, it's agonizing. The slow wait, it's agony. I am just very excited. I'm just like on the sidelines rooting for you, but also be like, I'm very curious how this experiment turns out. Um, okay. I have a couple of quick fire questions for you. Well, when I say quick fire, by the standard of this podcast, you can still take a couple of minutes, but like, quick questions. What does this book mean to you, Ella? That's not fair. That's not a quick fire question. Jeez. Ah, this book means to me, um, I think the biggest lesson that I learned writing it and that I want people to take away is that everyone deserves to be treated with love and respect. Mm -hmm. And there are very few exceptions to that rule. And... 
anyone who has convinced you that 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 is not true is a shithead. (laughs) I don't care if it's in your workplace. I don't care if it's in your family. I don't care if it's in your relationships or your friendships. If people are not treating you like a human being, they don't deserve to be in your life. And you have the right to walk away and not feel any guilt whatsoever doing that. Couldn't agree more with you on that one. Okay. I I asked this question the last time we did this. So I think it, it, it almost feels right to ask again. Why do you still continue to create? I love to share my work because I can see in real time the way that other people have shared those experiences too. Mm-hmm. And I was born a writer. I feel wired this way. It's how I process my feelings. It's how I communicate with other people. It brings me so much joy. And there is no feeling more gratifying than writing something that is horrifying to share and having someone immediately go, holy shit, I feel the same way. You articulated this for me in a way that I couldn't and you've helped me. And that is, I feel like I'm not a spiritual person, but that's, I feel like I was put on this earth to have those moments with people Mm -hmm. of, oh my God, this is such a shameful, dark experience that I've been afraid to put into light and you wrote about it. And thank you for that. That's the most meaningful thing I can hear. I'm very glad you continue to create. And I'm very, very glad that you offer so much to the world through your creativity. Okay, so if you could go back to 10-year-old Ello, and I'm going to say you have, I'll give you an hour to chat with yourself. What would you say or what would you do? Oh boy. Um, I think I would say two things. One, you don't know everything. You are not the most special person in the world. Stop being so arrogant and treat people better. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, stop letting people treat you poorly. (laughs) Put yourself first and let go of people when they're not serving you. Mm -hmm. Two very contradictory things. But I have always been kind of an arrogant, self-involved person who forgets to ask other people questions about their lives. Mm -hmm. And that is a character trait that I am working on. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I tend to... If I love someone, give way too many chances and be delusional. Mm -hmm. And that is also not great. So, sweetie, be aware of those things, baby (laughs) Ella. And um, always keep a pen in your pocket because there will be moments in your life where you don't have one, but you do have paper and you get very mad. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, constant works in progress. And I think... I hope that I'm sure there's still moments where like you maybe self-sacrifice a bit, but like so long as we're catching ourselves doing it, I think that's the, that's the important one. Okay. Last question. Last question before we wrap up. Similar tangent kind of actually, but like, what is your hope for yourself 10 years in the future? I hope that I'm still writing. I hope that I'm continuing to tell stories that are really hard for me to tell and hopefully I hope that in 10 years I have a bit more of a, uh, routine and what's the word I'm looking for? Discipline around writing. That's like my lifelong struggle is I have all these things I want to say, but I'm very bad at sticking to a schedule. Mm-hmm. So I just hope that I'm still doing what I'm doing and that I am healthy and with good people in my life and that the world is not on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like, I have more just wishes for the world than for myself. I'll be mm-hmm. doing, I'll be myself. I'll be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. The only question is like how many stuffed animals will be on my bed at that point. (laughs) But yeah, I hope that the world will be at least not worse than it is right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get very like 
I think this is quite philosophical, but also in kind of bringing what we've said as well, I think there'll be a, things will be a lot worse before they start getting better. But I do believe, and maybe this is the optimistic part of me, the part of me that really wants the world to heal at some point. I think eventually, hopefully, fucking hopefully, there is some hope at the end of this very grim tunnel that we're looking into. Yeah, especially, and this goes back to the book, we're at a strange moment in the US right now where we're having really big censorship issues in terms of libraries being defunded, books being pulled out of public schools, public libraries. There's been a real crackdown and it's very insidious. There, mm-hmm. there are public libraries that are taking out just romance novels because they have sexual material. Yeah, wow. in the Midwest. like It's extremely draconian and bizarre and like shocking to people who aren't paying attention because mm-hmm. it's out of context. But it's just it's been this gradual buildup of very deeply Christian, like conspiratorial yahoos who are very organized. And it's very strange to be releasing a book that is about a bisexual abuse survivor who is very close with her ex-girlfriend and Mm -hmm. is falling in love with a depressed recovering alcoholic. Like all of the subject matter of my work and my books is exactly what is under attack. Mm -hmm. And I have the privilege of being a white cisgender middle upper class woman. So there are a lot of ways in which there are other authors that are even more under attack and in jeopardy. But it's so strange to wonder, like, is my book going to be allowed Mm -hmm. in these places? And what will publishing look like at that time? And will I be the subject of a bad faith hate campaign? And will it's so weird to hold that that risk and that possibility. And I know this book will connect with the readers who need it most, but it's just very weird. Like, I think five years ago, 10 years ago, that was not a fear that I ever had. And that is something that is very, that's happened very fast and is very strange. Mm-hmm. And um, something to pay attention to if you're a listener in the States is who runs your local library? Mm-hmm. Who's on the local library board? Who are your local representatives? Because they're coming for your books. <laughs> You're coming, they're coming for your local horny romance novels and your LGBTQ comic books and your diverse YA characters. Like it's just, it's really strange. So that's one of those moments where I think about is the world going to get better or worse? Like this is going to get worse. The censorship is going to keep getting worse. And yay, buy my book next year, please. <laughs> Fight <laughs> Put it censorship. in your local library. Buy Ella's yep. book. that's gonna be that's gonna be my slogan for this episode is like fight censorship with ella dawson Uh, (laughs) oh god by supporting me specifically uh, a white cisgender author who is perfectly fine (laughs) god what is interesting for me is like a background in like political science and now with a background in psychotherapy witnessing america from a distance but then actually living in america And I understand that the part of America I'm visiting is like quite liberal and quite like, you know, forward with their thought. But I'm just very curious to see what that experience of like America is for me. But for you to be living in it and yet still somehow, despite all the horrible fears that lie in the future to not only manage to create, but to create something so profoundly hopeful. I think only, only speaks to you as a person, Ella, and just, it's been, it's been a privilege to witness that. And I'm so very glad that in a little way, I get to introduce more people through this podcast to you and your work. Before, before I let you go, 
where can people find you? Where can people support you? Where can we follow your work? Yeah, my home base is on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash bros and pros, B-R-O-S-A-N-D-P-R-O-S-E, because I used to write prose about bros. I have diversified since then. That is where I write about mental health, about abuse recovery, about relationships, about intimacy, yada, yada, yada. I also these days am writing and publishing spicier content on OnlyFans, which is fun new place that I hang out now, I guess. Um, I've been sharing excerpts from my diary from college, which is hilarious <laughs> and weird and sexy and bizarre. So mm. if, if you're interested in some very frighteningly honest teenage girl horny adventures, it's OnlyFans.com slash bros and pros as well. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram and really all the places at bros and pros. I'll leave all of those linked down below. Ella, thank you again for being here. Thank you for having this conversation. Very grateful to know you. Very, very glad that you still continue to write. And just, I'm so, so very glad that you are who you are. Thank you. And thank you for creating this space. I always love chatting with you. And this podcast is very special. Thank you for listening to that episode. If you like what you heard do consider following us on social media and maybe even sharing the episode with a friend that you think would really enjoy this. We're a independent and small podcast, so every like and share really, really goes a long way. New episodes out in two weeks' time. Till then, this has been Love and Citizenship, and I will catch you in the next one.